So I remember one time, my wife and I, we were coming uh, back from an Easter trip, uh, back from New York, and um, we stopped at a rest area. My wife went in. She held the door for an older man. She came back, and she looked disappointed. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, I cannot believe this. I held the door for this guy, and he did not even say thank you. And uh, this brings us to this question. Uh, what is gratitude? There are four truths we can glean from reading uh, Psalms 34. We start with verse 1 to 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In verse 1 to 3, we see how David invites us to praise the Lord and give him all the glory that he deserves. Praising is a knack of recognizing someone. When we praise God, we affirm his supremacy and authority over us. We need to be thankful. And then when we praise God, we express our gratitude towards him. The first truth I want to draw your attention to is the necessity to be grateful towards God. Gratitude goes a long way. It does not take much for you to say thank you, God, for everything you have done for me. God deserves the glory. Your relationship will be closer and deeper with God when you praise Him. Praying for deliverance is essential in our daily walk with God, but it should not be the only aspect for serving God. We praise God when things don't seem to go our way, and that's the other aspect that needs attention. Why gratitude? For we would be more aware of it and practice it in our life. I believe an obedient person has gratitude in one's heart. If you are able to accept the trials that God put in front of you, knowing that God is in control of your life, it will be very hard for you not to exemplify an attitude of gratefulness. A true faithful believer will feel the need to praise God when things don't seem to be in one's favor. The reason for this is because you're trusting God to make a way for you. Now, if you're walking down the street and you meet a homeless person, 
And the first thing that comes to mind is that you want to give them money or food. Now, this person may be very surprised to see that you acknowledge them. In that moment, don't focus on waiting for the person to say thank you. It's not like the person is not grateful. They are likely to be grateful that you came to save them from starving and being ignored. And sometimes God does something for us, and we tell ourselves, oh, God knows I love him. No, there must be a need to seek him and thank him for whatever he has done for you. I encourage you guys to find a time to read the Bible, to spend 30 minutes a day by praying to thank God for everything he has done for you. Now, many of us face a moment where someone did not say thank you for something you did. What we are talking about here is not for you to be acknowledged every time you do something good. Because doing something good will be something you do to get something in return. And there's a difference between doing something to get something in return, you hoping to get that, and saying thank you. And it hurts when someone does not say thank you. Now imagine how God feels when he does something for you, no matter how small, and we forget to praise God. For God, it's like a slap in the face. And, well, I guess it's good sometimes to experience that too. It's like having a taste of your own medicine. And that's why we need to praise God. Because when you have an attitude of praising God to take and sin, it means that you not only trust God, but you love Him as well. We don't love God for what God does for us. We love Him regardless of his answers. Now, the second truth we learn is the necessity to experience God's power and protection. This is what verse 4 to 7 states. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps those who fear him, and he delivers them. I want to draw your attention to one particular verse. Verse 4 states, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now, what is fear? The dictionary defines it as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil pain. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or the condition of being afraid is still there. 
I want you guys to pay close attention to two words, will and imagine. Sometimes feel, uh, sorry, fear is a feeling that you might allow you to unrealistically see and experience. The threat seems real in your mind, but that doesn't mean it is. You are the only person who can decide to see it for what it is. Despite that fear that you may have, God delivers you. And there are two ways that God can deliver you. He can actually deliver you from what, something that's about to happen. You can experience it. Or from a fear that you created in your mind that will never take place. And it has not happened yet. Now, there are several passages that show how fear was one of God's primary entrances to fulfill God's mission. Many times, God had to reassure his servant not to be afraid. And one particular passage is Joshua 1 verse 9. This is what God states. I have not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Genesis uh, 15, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham the vision, do not be afraid. I'm your shield, your very great reward. And there are other passages like Exodus 14, verse 13, Deuteronomy 30, 31, verse 8, that talk about do not be afraid. Now, why this same recurring theme of not being afraid? Because most people, God chose to fulfill a purpose, were at first afraid to do God's will. There are different types of fears. A fear of being rejected by people. A fear of embarrassing myself. A fear of a gloomy future. A fear, I don't think I'm going to make it. Fear is your biggest enemy. You may not be afraid to face danger, but you could be afraid of something else. I talked to a soldier, and he said, I'm not afraid of anything, man but just of a spider. I said, dude, that's the one thing you should not be afraid of. And he said, man, I know, but there's something about this animal that gives me the creeps. But this man put his life on the line often and was not scared to die. But was scared of a spider. You may not feel what this soldier fears, but you're afraid of something. Now, why do we fear? Why we have this? Because there's something in us that forces us to believe that if we cannot make it or handle it, then you're not good enough. 
And, and we tend to be afraid. Fear sets in the moment. You can seem to have a grasp of what you're trying to accomplish. And if you cannot touch it, then it's scary. For Jeremiah, he could not see himself fulfilling what God asked him to do. For Moses, he did not want to be rejected by these Israelites. But how can you confirm God's call if you never have the chance to experience it? Sometimes a friend or family member can, can confirm your calling. You may not agree with it. What is important is that you not focus on someone else's affirmation that they believe that you're called by God for a specific purpose. But what they affirm aligns with God's will. Jeremiah 1, verse 6 to 8, when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nation, this is what Jeremiah answered. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over a nation's kingdom to uproot and seal down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah thought because he was too young that he was not qualified to be a prophet. Let me say this. Let God be the judge of that. If someone comes to you and says say you're not qualified to do something, let God be the judge of that. God will decide that. You only need God's approval, affirmation, endorsement. God is the one who gives the stamp of approval. God is not a God where you can give him excuses. God calls for obedience. Even if we may not understand it right away, the only answer God needs from you is, yes, God, I will do it. When Samuel went to Jesse's house to look for the next king, he thought God would pick one of Jesse's older sons. But God chose the youngest David. In the message of Samuel, Mary J. Evans claimed this, God already stressed that his choice was nevertheless that David, like his brothers, was an exceptionally good-looking boy. The failure to mention height may simply be an education of his youth. God made it clear to Samuel that this boy was in fact his choice. So Samuel anointed David before leaving for Ramah. Now, the fact you decided to serve God says a lot about you. You're courageous. You may not know it. It's because we are constantly exposed to things like you start a fire and you burn yourself. Or you try to cut an apple 
and you cut yourself instead. What sets apart a, ch a child apart from an adult when it comes to those things is worry. Uh, children do not, do not think that if they stand on the chair, how high the chair can be, and then they jump, they're going to hurt themselves. We as adults are constantly on the lookout. That's why God said, become like those little children. For they do not worry about their future. They live life like everything is going to be okay. They know they are safe with their parents. We need a little bit of that childlike threat in us. Maybe we should have this conversation with your child. Honey, why are you not afraid? Why you don't worry? You know you're going to hurt yourself if you jump there, but they don't think about that. One passage that talks how God takes care of his children is found in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 16 to 21. This is what we learn from this king. And this is about the king, Sennacherib, who uh, insulted God and did not believe that God could deliver the, the Israelites. He wrote this, just as the gods of all the other nations failed to rescue their people from my power. So the God of Ezekiria will also fail. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew. To the people gathered on the walls of the city, trying to terrify them so it would be easier to capture the city. These officers talk about the God of Jerusalem as though he were one of the pagan gods made by human hands. God said this in, in response to reassure those who are terrified by this statement the king made. 2 Kings 19 verse 6 says this, Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. God will be the one to carry you through. This idea of carrying you through is found in Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Did Daniel's companion get burned when they were in the furnace? No. And this, was, this is what we learn. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. David, based on that, David wants those who trust God to know that if God was with him to the fire and still deliver him, then God can do the same for you and me. Now, 
let's say one day you discover science made a breakthrough in finding a cure for every disease. And say they tested 100 people and they got healed. They tested another three and they took the medicine and you're watching this, you're monitoring this. And you said, maybe I should take it too, see if it works. It, it did work. And then we can say, well, what about the side effects? We don't know. But one thing we are sure of is that this fact would still not equate the result that comes with experiencing God's divine touch. God's power and omniscience transcend our world and anything we can imagine. And one passage that explains this is found in Job 38, verse 3 to 13. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who mark off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? God put Job to the test and tests his knowledge about what Job does not know. Experiencing God is what Paul claimed in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9 to 10. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. We raised the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have set a hope that he will continue to deliver us. Here we see that Paul explains how he can't know what will happen to him. And because he does not know, the only recourse he has is to rely on God. Experiencing God is facing trials and persecution and knowing that God can get us through those tough times. When you are in distress, you have the right to cry out to him. When you cry out to God, uh, when you're in a crisis and you don't see the way out, and that's where we we come to this point. And my dad-in-law told me once that if you don't cry out or scream or don't complain, nobody's going to hear you. Nobody's going to listen to you. And... Well, he used a lot of idioms when I'm talking to him. So this is the one he picked. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, if you're at work and you need a promotion or a raise and someone else gets the raise, right? You cannot be upset because you didn't say anything. You didn't voice it. So don't be disappointed and don't be mad that you didn't get it. Sometimes for a miracle to occur, you need to voice it. You need to cry out to God and God listens. God may not deliver you exactly when you ask him, but he knows you ask him about it. But he does not forget. God can't forget. He's omniscient. And we find another example of someone crying out in Luke 18. 
And this is a blind man who called out Jesus. And Jesus was passing by, and he kept calling. And people said, you know, shush it. You know, stop shouting. But Jesus allowed this to happen so people could see this blind man's degree of faith. Like, Jesus wanted people to see that this blind man believes that Jesus can kill him. Several passages talk about crying out to the Lord. We need to cry out to the Lord. In, in this day and age, we may not be able to do this at work, like loudly expressing ourselves, but we can say a little prayer in the heart, like, God, you hear me, please deliver me. This is beyond my capacity. Help me to rely on you and know you already, you already have an answer. When you cry out to him, God is ready to deliver you from whatever is causing you to be afraid. God provides protections. He knows your heart and he can give you peace of mind in the midst of your crisis. And this is why I love John 14 verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What we need is peace, God's peace, in the midst of the crisis. How many of you today have cried out to God so he could deliver you? I encourage you to cry out in the darkest hours. He listens, do not now for one moment that he does not listen. Now we continue with verse 8 to 10. And it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. Those who fear him like nothing. The lions may go weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Let me ask you this. Is God good to you? I hope you say yes. Because God is good to me. I'm living. I have life. I have a wife who loves me. And think about the air you breathe. This is a testimony of God's goodness. God is good to me because he had delivered me countless times from various issues. Things I did not see a solution for. But God delivered me. God is so good to you that he has given you the opportunity to be saved through his son, Christ. Your acceptance of his son gives you access to God's kingdom and eternal life. Scripture, it is the light must test of everything you experience as a believer. It confirms what scripture states. It is the living proof that God will always protect us and deliver us from all fears and troubles. The Bible will never steer you wrong. It will always lead you on the right path. Experiencing God is more than this little moment of... Uh, sorry. So... I remember one time I tried to uh, 
Waller Blade, and my neighbor was doing all kinds of tricks with the Waller Blade. And I said, is it safe to use? And he said, well, you may get some few bruises uh, and fall from it, but nothing serious. And I said, but I've never done it. He said, how are you going to know what it's like if you never try it? So I got on it. I stopped riding. And suddenly, I saw my two legs in the air. And I fell hard on my back. You can't know something until you experience it. I learned that you could fall from a water blade, and I learned what it's like to water blade. So, experiencing God is more than this little moment of excitement that I had the pleasure to experience. We experience God in our daily activities. We experience God by praying to Him and waiting for His response. Now we get to the third truth, and that's the necessity to live a godly life. This section stretches from verse 8 to 15. This part of chapter 34 is more like an instruction given by David. David is inviting us to live a righteous life because there are blessings that come upon a believer who lived this life, and this is what the psalmist states in verse 15 to 16. Uh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. And John Gordon Way stated this, do, do you want to seek well-being for yourself? Indeed, not just seek it, but also to give you energy chasing after it. Turning away from badness and doing good is key. No blessings can come upon a person who does not live according to God's principles. And David shows the ramifications that fall upon people who live unethically. Like Psalms 1, this is what God expects from a child, from, uh, from a believer. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditate on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of waters. Now, we come down to the fourth truth is the necessity to allow God to be God. This is where God is the one acting on our behalf. God steps up to show us what he can do. It also means to follow the will of God. I'm going to ask the married man this question. Do you want your wife to be happy or not happy? Okay, you want her to be happy, right? Like that saying says, happy wife, happy life. Okay. Now, imagine that God is not happy. That's even worse. Because whatever you touch or do may turn against you. So, for example, when I told myself I would not become a pastor, the journey was not always easy. People would question me, and they felt like saying, man, nothing is working for you. 
Ask yourself this question. Am I doing God's will? Now, the reason why we are reluctant to do God's will, because doing God's will comes with a price. It takes you out of your comfort zone. Like my friend Chris said one time, I think he's watching me, I don't know. The flesh wants you to be comfortable and not have you suffered any pain. It's like you wish God says, where I'm sending you, you're going to be comfortable, you're going to have a great time, nothing's going to happen to you. Just chill, and you're just going to be happy. No, real comfort is in heaven, not here. Look, if you are comfortable in this world, why would you need heaven? You will not be thinking about heaven at all. Now, we come down to those who are completely of God's will, those who chose to do evil things. One day I was pondering on the meaning of evil. And I asked myself this question, why does evil exist? But I asked myself another question. I said, how can God show his ability and supremacy to protect us, to be there for us, show his mercy and love? He cannot do it if we live in a peaceful place, a peaceful world. And if God was not on our side, we would not be able to make it. And we would not know how powerful God is. Now, I'm going to conclude, okay? So, in light of everything that was said, we can see that we do need God to be a protector. And when we face those fears that we have, just remind yourself that God is in control. Now, you are one step away from allowing God to do great things through you. Do you want to know who you are in Christ? Then take a risk with God. Now, spoiler alert. There's a movie I watched a couple of weeks ago. Now, for the sake of not ruining someone's attention to go see it. I'm not going to give you the name of the movie, right? Sounds fair? Okay, good. But I'm curious to see if you actually watch that movie and you're at the theater and you say, aha, Gilbert did mention that. Now, I did not ruin it for you, but you just happened to stumble on it. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and in the movie, uh, one of the actors uh, stated this. A shoe is a shoe until someone feels it. Does it ring a bell? I am looking to see if someone actually saw it. Okay, no one. Okay, we're good. Now, one knife from that movie does not hurt. 
this shoe can be viewed as a metaphor, like a task. The position that God called you to fulfill. No offense, but I don't want to be in your shoes. Because the problem you're going through, you're the only one who can handle it. And maybe I can't. But there will come a time where the problem you face, I may now be facing it as well. And God allows this to happen for a reason. Now, they asked a rich man, what was the secret of his success? And he said, the secret is, I took a risk one day to invest. Now, if you want to see what God does for you, take a risk with God. And then when you feel there's no way out, just call on God. You are one step away from becoming a testimony for people who need to know God. But it can only happen the day you decide to start trusting God. Thank you.